breaths will turn shallow, rasping. When the pale creatures come with their teeth, their razor teeth, your moans will rise in pitch and frequency, but that will be all the reaction you can muster. And shortly thereafter, you will not be able to muster even that. You will float in forced silence while your captors realize that the treat is on its last legs and it would do well to get the meal in before it expires. You imagine you will be alive when they set to work bringing your insides to the outside, right up until they get to the guts, most likely. You will feel your own intestines come unspooled, and then, perhaps, you will sink into the deeper dark and never swim clear again. At last, please, but Mustafa knows the truth. They have no intention of letting him die. They've even brought him nourishment of a kind, forcing strange meat down his throat alongside bitter but unsalted water. They will make it last. They will savor every last drop of blood he has to give. He peers around his small chamber, curious at the sound coming off the rocks. Oh, he realizes, that's my scream. I'm still screaming. He stops and lets the echo settle atop him like a crown. set of stairs, down an improbable passageway, Terry stood in his own cave. You have to help me save him, Terry demanded of the unseen voice that had just alerted him to the fact Mustafa was still alive. We have to do nothing, said the ancient, unseen thing. For a time, it had adopted the voice and mannerisms of Terry's dead friend Mike just as he assumed it could take on the voice and tone of anyone who had crossed over the threshold of life and death. But this costume had been abandoned, and it no longer sounded much like a person. He is alive now, but that is likely to change sooner or later. It hardly matters. It matters to me, Terry protested. The presence moved towards him. Terry was once again reminded of how ancient and vast this vast ancient thing truly was. The pure black gathering itself together over him was as deep and pitiless as the most titanic trench that could be found on earth. And there was something else as well. The sensation of being watched, being studied. He could feel the presence boring through his clothes, past his skin, and into the flayed pink of his bared soul. The darkness swirled, 
I suppose there's nothing to be gained or lost either way, it said at last. Fine. So you'll save him? Terry said. The voice clicked its non-existent tongue. Terry wondered what soul had been the first to teach it that tick. What could I do to help you? I'm a patchwork ghost, after all. But there is one here who might be able to assist you. A demon, as you know, is kind. Strike a bargain. Save your friend. Why the long face? Last time you gave your soul away for nothing except your own fear. But this time, your life may actually buy you something you love. The voice whispered away back into the deep midnight of the cave. Wait, Terry called. I don't know how to get there. A guide has volunteered, said the fading voice. Footsteps announced an approach. Terry unconsciously began to back away. Flight or fight instincts springed up unheeded. He wrestled down his panic, even as the steps rang louder and louder. A dim glow appeared in the midst of the unbroken bleak. The light grew stronger. Used to the darkness as he was, Terry held his arms to his eyes and squinted against the sudden bright. The light solidified until there was clearly a man, clearly walking towards him. The man stopped a little ways away from Terry. A familiar red beard broke into a familiar smile. Hello, Terry, Mr. Oak said. What brings you here? Somewhere else in the dark, Mustafa has come to love his torments. Their teeth touch like lovers' lips. They drink of him and he moans and squirms with near-religious ecstasy. Some of their kind are female. They press against him, ear their insides cold. It's pure mechanical reflex that brings him to attention, but the females seem not to mind. The water around him will froth and bubble. Their bald heads will breach the surface, and he will have to shut his eyes against the twisted features, shrieking with feral enthusiasm. He shuts his eyes and imagines it is lost loves there with him in the water, in the dark, like Soledad, from whom he stole his first kiss and who he would have liked to have married, or like Lupita, who he did marry, and even on their wedding night, as they lay entwined, raw, with sweat pouring off their naked skin like vapor on a cold morning, even then he knows that something that burned this bright and violent could never be. Or like Luisa, who found their shattered pieces of him and stitched them back into something that resembled a human being. It was a testament to her work that he remained so, even after she herself was gone. They all left him with scars, and he knew he had made his marks as well. None of that mattered in the dark. In the dark, their voices were silent save their moans, 
their minds were gone save for the need to continue. They thrust against him, begged him for more, whispered passions and swore with restraint and then release. In time, in time the females would leave and the waters would still themselves. In time, in time the females would leave and the waters would still. Numb to all, he would dangle and drift and give silent thanks to each of those women and all the loves and conquests in between. He'd long since given up on the idea that there was one true love for each and every person, but he remained firm in his belief that the shit you went through, the hurt you felt and inflicted, they were all instrumental in becoming who you were meant to become and to do the things you were meant to do. He had been meant to reach the position of power that he had once held. Why? Because he was meant to find Terry. He was meant to save that boy. And though he had no way of knowing if Terry was still alive, or if he would be alive for much longer at all, Mustafa knew that this was right. There was something greater awaiting that boy. And if all Mustafa's life had amounted to was a stepping stone for Terry to cross on the path to that destiny, then so be it. Other people had to be more grateful for much less. It had to be worth something. It had to have had a point. He realized he was speaking this out loud. Delirium, swelling up to carry him away from this cruel place and these endless sufferings. The water around him began to froth. Mustafa closed his eyes. Terry kept his distance from Mr. Oaks as they made their way away from the outcropping of rock. The big man with the big red beard hummed as he walked, the aura of godlight around him pulsing and fading in time with the tune. There had been a time when Mr. Oaks was considered the most trusted and beloved man in the city beneath the black sun. With his friend, Mr. Mayhew, he had been instrumental in pushing the city out of its five-year stupor and beginning the long, slow climb back to something like civilization. There had been some kind of falling out between the two men, and Mr. Oakes vanished. Shortly thereafter, everything else in the city began to head in a single direction, steadily down. Mr. Oaks led him away from the cave mouth, but they did not seem to be anywhere near the bizarre staircase that had led Terry away from the water where Mustafa had been taken. Instead, the air seemed to solidify in anticipation of Mr. Oaks' footfalls, and so long as Terry kept a near enough proximity, 
you can move along the same path, steadily down. After walking for some time, the boredom of the journey finally overrode Terry's distaste. So what are you exactly? He demanded. Another ghost? An angel? A, a god? Mr. Oak's wide shoulders shook with laughter. You know, I've spent much of the past year batting around that exact same question. I mean, I'm the ghost of a person who never actually existed. So where exactly does that leave me? What do you mean a person who never really existed? I'm an imaginary friend, dear boy. Or I was, anyway. You could say I resigned. I understand your surprise. It was quite a shock to me as well. I'm afraid I flew off the handle a bit, and the resulting fallout necessitated that I take some time to answer that same question you just posed. What am I? Who am I? Yeah, well, while you were off finding yourself or whatever, everything in your body helped build fell apart. Mr. Oak sighed. Entropy is inevitable, but that does not make it a happy fact. I've done my best to try and convince the younger gods they need to take an active role in preserving the lives of those who brought them to life with belief, but it can be difficult. There are other older gods, many of them, and they are playing a higher game than any we are privy to. But like I said, we do our best to help our people. That's what I realize, you see. That's who I am. I am someone who feels the need to always be helping others. But is that? Terry tried to figure out a way to ask the question properly. Is that you, really? If you're an imaginary friend, then that need you feel isn't yours, really. Is it? It was given to you. I won't lie to you, dear boy. That bothered me for a long time. Those big shoulders slumped. I got so mixed up and frustrated over it that my body actually started losing physical definition. You think puberty's a rough go of it? Try having your fingers start running like melted wax while your eyeballs drift out of your skull like unmoored balloons. That will teach you the importance of a healthy degree of self-possession right quick. But so how did you get past it? I realized that my having been given my traits and characteristics from another really wasn't so different from anyone else. We are all the product of random collisions of DNA and histories that are themselves the tail ends of billion trillion part processes stretching back to the primordial muck. Do you know that if, uh, you know about sex, right? Dude, right, 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 sorry. All I'm trying to explain is that if on the night your parents conceived you, they went to bed early instead and made up for it with some first thing pre-breakfast, uh, um, I believe the kids call it nookie? The kids don't call it that. Noted. Were they to make even the slightest of alterations to their routines and habits, why, the you that they would have created would be an entirely different person than the boy here with me. No, Terry. We all start out as someone else's dream. No one gets to decide on their origins. We only get to decide the kind of person we will build for ourselves to be out of those discordant pieces. 
there was a long moment of silence. I don't know yet, Terry admitted. I still don't have any idea who I am or what I'm supposed to be. Mr. Oaks threw his head back and bellowed laughter into the endless dark. My dear boy, he cried. You're just a kid. You don't have to decide yet. One of the pleasures of youth is getting to sample different flavors of self and try them on for size. You have no need to rush. You're wrong, Terry thought. You may mean well, and you may be part God, maybe. I still don't totally follow all that. But on this, you're wrong. Maybe for some people, maybe even for most, they get to wait and make those decisions. But I live in the world beneath the black sun. And beneath the black sun, you either decide who and what you stand for, or you get squashed by someone else who has it figured out already, and who is standing a little taller than you, so they can better see where they are aiming. Life is just too short in this place. You either decide early how you want to make your mark and then work strenuously to make it, or you sit back. Terry realized after a while that they were walking on ground again. He had missed the exact moment of transition as he was too lost in his thoughts. Off the light cast by Mr. Oaks, Terry could see shapes and shades of the dark country of the dead. Faces frozen in masks of snarls and sneers hovered at the edge of the red-beard man's glow. Claws and talons raked at Terry's skin, though always just a hair away from kicking off great gouges of his flesh. Terry now became so preoccupied with the clutches and the masks that he lost track of Mr. Oaks and almost bounced off his back. What? he demanded. Why did you stop? Mr. Oaks touched his finger to his lips. He closed his eyes and as Terry watched, he began, almost imperceptibly at first, to glow even brighter. A quiet thrum of energy began to surround him, like a battery sparking to life. The area was filled with rustles and rushes as scaled hides hurried to be elsewhere before the glow spread to where they stood. When the glow stopped spreading and the humming subsided, Terry gave Mr. Oaks a minute longer to explain what was up, but the man showed no inclination towards any action besides taking a seat on the cold ground and waiting with an air of expectation. Well, thought you were going to take me to meet this demon guy. And so I have, Mr. Oaks replied. We just have to wait for him to arrive. Oh, Terry said. He scanned undistinguished dark. Will we have to wait long? Mr. Oaks pointed to something behind Terry. No, I don't imagine so. Terry turned. The demon stood just outside the light white grin bold in his red face.
Harry took two steps closer to the demon before stopping and looking back to Mr. Oaks. The big man with the big red beard nodded, confirming that the boy was still safe. He stepped closer. Closer, he could see that it was not the demon's face that was red. The demon had no face. Skin had been flayed away, leaving red masses of muscle and vein that moved and undulated as Terry watched, squirming like groping vines. The demon was naked all over, bare of clothing and of skin, veins bunched and clenched even as the figure stood stock still. His pointed teeth remained fixed in a grin. I feel your knee, the creature said. What would you have of me? Is there a fire in your nethers? Only my stable might sate. Swirling mist gathered in the dark, and as Terry watched, it began to churn into the shape of shapely women who posed and purred and stroked themselves at each other. With the wave of the demon's hand, the shapes changed, becoming men equally desirable and equally lecherous. Or do such pleasures hold no interest for you? What about power? Would you have me raise you above the pitiful drudgeries of mortaldom? You don't have to suffer anymore. You don't ever have to fear again. The mists rose, and with a start, Terry realized that they were congealing into his face. He towered over a phantom city, one swing of his hand setting skyscrapers fracturing and crashing, wisps impersonating victims tumbling into the open air where they evaporated with a hiss. You have such promise, boy, the demon said. You have such potential. Let me assist you. Let me guide you. Let me show you all that you might be. No thanks, Terry said. I'm already on my way. The demon slumped. So what do you want? Mustafa, Terry said. If you know about me, you know about him. Oh my, yes, the demon leered. He's providing the deep dwellers quite a good time in more ways than you can imagine. Suppressing a shudder, Terry went on. I want him back. I want him back unharmed, and then I want us both out of here. The demon ran a tongue over its pointed teeth. And what, pray tell, is in it for me? What will I receive in turn? Terry held his empty hands out. What do I have to give? The demon purred. That shape you wear, it's not yours, not really. One of my brethren loaned you a mask. I'd have it back. It took Terry a moment to reconcile meaning to words. Is that the only payment you'll take? It is. Then fine. 
The demon bounced on his heels and clapped his hands in happy disbelief. Right. So, how do we... How do we do this? The demon gestured to Mr. Oaks. Send that one away. Let the dark take you. Terry turned to the still-seated Mr. Oaks. The man did not look happy, but he did not look sad. There was satisfaction on his face, but mixed with a melancholy that suggested things had gone how he expected and how he had feared. I guess you have to go, Terry said. I suppose you're right, the big man with the big red beard replied. Will I see you in the city? Terry asked. Possibly, Mr. Oak shrugged. Although, not for a while. My dear Mr. Mayhew's spirit is lost down here. I would like to speak with him one more time before he truly passes on. But I imagine you and I will see each other before too long. Terry turned to go, but then he hesitated. Am I? He cast a worried look back at the demon. Am I doing the right thing? In the, in the grand scheme of things? Mr. Oaks smiled, but the edges of his mustache drooped. I'm not convinced there is such a thing as a right thing in times like these. You've made a choice, Terry. A choice to save a life. There will be consequences to that choice for both good and bad. We may hope that eventually the positive ripples come to outnumber the negatives in time, but that is not something we can ever know. It's all chance and choice. Choice and chance. The big man tipped an imaginary hat, and though his smile was still sad, there was a twinkle in his eye. And then he was gone, the light snapping away like a switch had been flipped. Flecks of hot spit struck the back of Terry's neck, sending shivers down his spine. Well, the demon breathed, shall we begin? What do I do? Terry said. Let go, the demon crooned. Let the dark take you. Terry felt the presence crawling up from the blemishless black ground, seeping into his shoes and up his pants leg like creeping ice water. He tried to take stock of his body before the presence emerged him completely, tried to experience awareness of all that he was about to lose. Then the presence had him, and he was puking out his teeth, peeling off his skin, and screaming over and over into the forever night. Mustafa thought he had died. The most he could muster was an exhausted, finally. One instant he was dangling in his cold, dull agony, 
the water stirring as one or two of his captors lazily circled him, perhaps debating whether they were really hungry or horny, or maybe just bored enough to indulge either of both appetites for the sake of killing time. And then some great weight seized his ankles and dragged him under the surface before he could so much as gasp. His dark, adjusted eyes could see the mutants diving after him, their mouths screeching an underwater siren of desperation. Mustafa gagged on the water that rushed into his unprepared throat. His vision grew blurry and began to spin. He offered up one last prayer for Terry, one last wish that the boy find his way home and then find himself. And then he surrendered without struggle to oblivion. Oblivion ended up feeling a lot like rough sand and cold air. Mustafa bolted up onto all fours, vile and black water pouring from his mouth in seemingly impossible quantities. He collapsed onto the sand, the rough firmness up and against his exposed skin, confirming the reality of this new world and its continued existence within it. Mustafa carefully opened his eyes. Above him stretched a gray, slate sky. The black sun shone down. It should not have been a joyous sight, and yet all Mustafa could summon was delirious relief and gratitude. He got clumsily to his feet, noticing as he did so that none of the wounds he sustained in the water had carried over. He touched the spot on his throat which the first female had torn open and found only a smooth skin in need of a shave. How? he said out loud, right before the answer tackled him into a doom. The shape that clutched him was short but strong, wrapping his midsection in a vice-like grip. Its hide was dark, its features distorted. A pair of powerful wings were folded against its back. Hey! Hey! was all Mustafa could think to yell. He wrenched his way free and fell back. The gargoyle cocked its head in amusement. Back off! Mustafa cried. Then, what do you want? Well, I don't know, the gargoyle said. Maybe a little gratitude for pulling your ass out of the water. Mustafa gaped. Terry? The gargoyle spread his arms and then his wings. Back where I belong? How I belong. But, Mustafa opened and closed his mouth. But how? Terry shook his bald head, adorned on either side with pointed ears. A long story. I'll tell you on the way back to the city. Right, Mustafa said. Right, sure, fine. He looked wonderingly at Terry. So, this is you? Yeah, Terry said. This is still me. You okay with that? I will be, Mustafa said, climbing to his feet. He went to the gargoyle, and this time it was him leading the embrace. The wind picked up, and dark sand flew, but neither minded. At last they parted, and Mustafa said, wiping an eye, The city will seem like a cakewalk after all that time in the dark. Yeah, Terry said, a nervous tone creeping into his voice. About that. 
city hasn't gone anywhere, has it? No, the gargoyle said carefully. That's not the problem. Terry led him to the top of the dune, from which Mustafa could see the unmistakable outline of the city. He could also see the great billowing clouds of smoke rising from a dozen different places. The city beneath the black sun burned. 